Hey, it is time for Kids Church, so if you're fifth grade and under, you all are dismissed. Go and have a great time of worship, and I know uh, there's, there's, like, there's shoulders down there, there's Isaacs down there, there's cranes down there, so there's all kinds of people down there to ha- help you all have a great time. Hey, today we're at the end of a series of sermons that we've been in for the last several weeks called Free. And if you've missed any of the previous messages, I just want to encourage you to go back and, and listen to uh, some of those. You can find them on our website or on Facebook or on Spotify or Apple, wherever you get podcasts at. You can find them in all those places. And if you go back and if you've missed messages in this uh, and you go back and listen, today's message will make more sense if you listen to the other ones and, and uh, you know, leading up to it. Um, And before we jump into the message today, I just want to tell you about what's coming up. Next week, we're going to start a new series of messages, and we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. Um, The Gospel of Mark is one of my favorite Gospels. I like it because it's short. Um, I don't have a long attention span. That's one of the reasons I have to use, like, manuscript notes, because my attention span goes here and there, and so, like, I need something to focus. So I like Mark because it's short. And you'll notice as we go through the book of Mark, he says, immediately, like a thousand times, immediately this and immediately that. And it's like there's no time gap that ever happens. It just goes from one thing to the other. And so it gets a little confusing sometimes, but we're going to work our way through that. And that's going to take us all the way up to Easter. Easter is ten weeks away. Ten weeks. Like today's Super Bowl Sunday. Easter is the Super Bowl of the church, uh, in, in the church world, right? So Super Bowl Sunday's in ten weeks. And so, hey, we need all of you right now to be thinking about who you're going to bring to church with you that day because... There's two, day, two Sundays of the year that people are more likely to come to church than any other Sunday. Christmas and Easter. All right, Christmas is a while from now. All right, We've got a while to it. Easter's ten weeks away, so start thinking now about who you're going to bring. Now that's all coming up. Today we're, again, as I said, we're finishing part four of our series free. And if you've been here any length of time, you know that we have a very simple mission statement. In fact, I tell it to you every week. At the end of every service, we, we end with what our mission statement is. It's, it's leading people to love and follow Jesus, right? In fact, why don't you all just repeat that with me? We are leading people to love and follow Jesus. And part of the reason that I, that I say that every week, part of the reason that I remind us of that is because I want us, number one, to remember what our mission is, that we're very, very clear in what our mission is. But also, I want to remind us of who we're following. We are following a who, not an it, not a what. We are following a who. We are following Jesus. And if you don't know this, let me be very clear about this. When Jesus came to earth, he did not come to start another religion. Okay? Jesus did not come to start another religion. In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, he goes through and he, he looks at all these different religions and he says all religions have, have a couple of things in common. They all have certain laws or certain rules that are in common. And he, he just goes through kind of a short list and, and he gives a few of them. And this is just kind of the sort of the, the common law religion. And it says, you know, they basically like this. Don't harm others. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Care, care for the weaker. All religions, basically if you look through any religion in the world, you're going to find that most all of them contain Something similar to that. It's just kind of the, the every religious thing. And when we read stuff like that, when we even read stuff like that in, in Scripture, we say, okay, all right, I'm going to be a good religious person. Like, this is a to-do list. I can do this. I can, I can check all of these off. Don't harm anybody. Don't lie. Don't cheat on my spouse. Take good care of those weaker than me. Like, I can do that, right? So I can get my check mark. Here's the other thing about religions that we need to know is this. Is that once you break the rules, once you harm somebody else, or once you lie, or you commit adultery, or you don't care for the weaker, once you break the rules, 
most all religions have more rules to help you know what to do to make up for that. To, so that you can follow the rules again. There's just more rules on top of the rules that you've already broken. And, and unfortunately, Christianity is not exempt from that. In fact, Christianity around the year 280, it, it kind of took a turn towards religion. And it began to lose this sense of, of this vibrant, growing relationship with a, with a resurrected Savior. And it became more of a, about a religion because people kind of lost their their, their focus, they, they drifted toward rules, and, and I've got to follow the rules. And, and, and here's, we do this. I mean, all of us, we can relate to this. Because when it comes to following God, when it comes to God, religion is our default. Our, our default for God is to follow the rules. Like how many of us, we grew up with the Ten Commandments, right? And, and please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, because I already see like the, e- the emails are in your mind already. The Ten Commandments, not a bad thing, right? Nobody would ever say the Ten Commandments are a bad thing. Ten Commandments, what are they? They're a list of rules, right? When Jesus came and they asked, and, and the religious leaders asked him what the greatest commandment was, what did he say? Did he give like one through ten of the Ten Commandments? No. He said, those are rules. He said, here's what I want you to do. Love God, love your neighbor, right? Don't, not, not rules. Not, not do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Love God, love your neighbor, right? So, so we all grew up with the Ten Commandments, and we got to post them in the schools, and we got to post them in the courthouse, and it was a big ordeal when, when they came out of schools and when they came off courthouse walls, right? And we made a big deal about that. And I get it. It's part of our, it's part of our spiritual heritage. It's part of our spiritual foundation. But you know why we did that? Why we made a big deal about it? Because our default to God is to follow rules. That's our default. It's about rules. Just, you know, just tell me what I'll do, and I'll do the best I can to keep them. And so, so here's what we do. The rules that we keep, well, they make us proud. We're, we're proud of the rules that we keep. We, we like those. We, we like them. The rules that we don't keep so well, you know what we do with those? Eventually we dumb those down enough that we don't feel, uh, feel guilty about them, or maybe we feel really guilty about them, and we just look for loopholes in them so that, so that we'll feel a little better about ourselves. And then we kind of form our own version of, of religion. And so religion is full of hypocrites. Anybody ever heard that the reason somebody won't come to church is because, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites? Ever heard that? Yeah. And you know what? When you're talking about religion, they're right. They're right. Religion is full of hypocrites. And, and Christians or Jesus followers that opt for religion over a relationship with Jesus are hypocrites too. And so I just want to explain today, try to, try to dig into this a little bit, uh, the difference between approaching and, and following Jesus the way that Jesus and the way that the Apostle Paul talked about it versus a, a religion approach to Christianity. And if you go with the religious approach, let's just be clear about this too. If you go with the religious approach to following Christianity, that's fine. You will be in the majority of people. But you're also going to be this. You're going to be frustrated your entire life. You're going to be frustrated your entire life because it doesn't work. You're going to spend the rest of your life trying to be like Jesus. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. You can't even be like your favorite sports person. You can't even be like your favorite singer. You're like, I know some of you are in the, in the bathroom and you got your hair brushed and you're in the mirror and you're singing and you're like, you don't let anybody hear that, fortunately. But like, you, can't, you can't even be like your favorite singer. You can't sing like them. You can't dance like them. You can't act like them. You can't do any of that stuff. How in the world are you ever going to live like Jesus? So you're just going to be frustrated your whole life. But I got great news for you. Because it was never God's intent. Never God's intent when he sent his son into the world. 
to send Jesus into the world as a model for you to somehow live up to, to be, to be something that you're supposed to, to strive for, because guess what? You can't. And I know when you hear that, when you hear me say that, you're like, that goes against everything I've ever been taught. And you know why? Because we've been taught religion. Jesus, he didn't come to give us some standard that we were never going to achieve. He came to give his life not only for you, but to you. And until that becomes our approach to following Jesus, you're going to follow. And you're just going to be a Christian who acts like other religious people. And they try to live up to a law, to a standard that they're never going to be able to live up to. And as a result, you're going to feel, you're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel guilty. You're, just, you're going to be miserable. And there are going to be times, more often than not, when you're going to say, you know what, I could, I could do without this. I could do without this. Like, like if, if I wasn't scared to go to hell, I could do without this, right? Because for a lot of people, that's the reason that they come to church. That's the reason that they want to be a Christian is because it's their get-out-of-hell-free card. And I'm just telling you that Jesus never meant for us to live like that. And so Paul, who gives us all this insight, he kind of gives a snapshot of, of what it was like when he was a religious person trying to keep God's law. Here's how he described it, and we've looked at it every week uh, in this series. Romans chapter 7, he says this. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And remember, this is not the experience of a pagan man. This is the experience of an extremely religious man, maybe one of the most uh, religious in all of Judaism. I mean, he was, he was a big deal in the, in, the, in the Jewish world. And he says, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, I do. I feel guilty all the time because I know I shouldn't have done this, and I know I, I should have done that. And, and, and unfortunately, the church came along and they said, you know what, Paul, we, we've got some more rules to go along with the rules that you've broken. And so here's what Paul says about this. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, and this is going to be our jumping off place today. He says, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law, and this could be the law of God, just pick any law, your, your law, moral law, uh, the laws of the state of Kentucky, any law. But in this case, he's talking about Jewish law. He says, I agree that the law is good. In other words, I'm not saying that rules are bad. I'm not saying that, that I... That I that I think that we should do away with rules, what I'm saying is I just don't keep them very well. I'm not very good at them. I, I think everybody ought to put everybody else first, but I don't always do that so well. I, I think people should be kind, and they shouldn't lose their anger, and they should, should not be stingy, and they should be more generous, but I don't do that very well, or at least I don't do it consistently. I think laws are good. I think people ought to behave a certain way. I just don't do it very well. And you know what Paul would say? He would say, welcome to religion. And here's his conclusion about that. Here's his conclusion about, I think the law is good. Here's what this, his conclusion about this is about himself. He says, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. And let me tell you something. You're either, you're either at this point right now, or you're going to be there, or you've been there. Because at, at some point, every religious person gets to this point. They sit through a sermon and they say, oh, that's how I'm supposed to be a good husband. Man, what a wretched husband I am. Or man, that's how I'm supposed to be a good parent. What a wretched parent I am. Or that's how, I, how, good, how I'm supposed to be a good teenager. Teenagers don't use the word wretched. But, you know, they, 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 everybody gets to that point. This is the trap of all religion. Because we know better, right? If you've been raised in the church, you can't say you didn't know. You know better. You know what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And we get, to, we get through that to-do list. We get through our checklist and we say, you know what? I didn't do it. Or I didn't do it well. I fell short. You know better. 
That's the trap of all religion. And Paul says, because he's taken us somewhere new, he says, let's ask a question. And really, this is the question that, that he asked, and this is what we talked about a few weeks ago. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Because here's what he knows, and here's what you've learned, is that every time you've sinned, there was death. Every time there is sin, what's on the heels of sin? Death. That whenever you break your own rules, there's death. Whenever you break any of the laws of religion, there's a death. There's a consequence. There's pain. You hurt yourself. You hurt other people. You hurt your kids. You hurt your spouse. You hurt your your finances. You hurt relationships with with your parents. There's always death. There's some kind of death. But Paul, he asked the right kind of question here. He says, he says, what can I do, right? No, that's not what he says, is it? That's not the question he asks. He doesn't ask, what can I do to be a better person? What's going to make me even with God? What's going to make God not mad at me? He doesn't ask what. He asks, who? Who is going to rescue me from the body that is subject to death? In this next statement, I'm just telling you, it's so powerful. Verse 25, he says, thanks be to God. There's a who. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when we see this, when we see Jesus Christ, our Lord, we, we think 2,000 years ago, romanticized Jesus. You know, his beard's perfect. He's got, he's got his robes are all perfect. His, his, shoe, his feet never get sandy. He's got these blazing blue eyes, and, and he's got all of these great one-liners. I mean, he's just kind of a man's man, right? That's the image of Jesus that we, we get in our mind. And, and we just have all that, but I'm just telling you, we, we will never be able to move into what Paul is about to say until we understand this. That when Paul wrote this, when when Paul is talking about this, when he's writing this, Jesus had only been dead about 20, 25 years. This wasn't 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, you know, 1,000 years ago, you know, deliver me through Jesus Christ our Lord. No, no, no. This was Jesus, a person that he, had, that he had actually seen, and he'd been hanging out with James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he'd, he'd had meetings with Peter who had, who had had campfires with Jesus and had ate meals with Jesus. This wasn't a fictitious religious person. This was the real flesh and blood person that he's talking about. And Paul said, oh yeah, he died 20, 25 years ago, and he rose from the dead. And his spirit, not the memory of his spirit, the actual spirit of Jesus lives in us. And he would say, and through him, Through him, there's a way to break the bondage of religion and to break the bondage of I should have, but I can't. I I, I want it to, but I I just never seem to be able to pull it off right. And so much of Paul's letter, so much of his his writing in the New Testament is about our relationship with the law. And in in this instance, he's talking about the Jewish law, but but really you can talk about your relationship with, with any law. This applies to every religion. This applies to your own law because everybody has their own standard that they don't live up to, right? You, you have your own set of like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do and this is how I'm going to act. And you don't always live up to that. I'm going to tell you a moment of honest transparency. I didn't live up to it this morning. This morning, like I got up for getting ready for church and I'm just in a bad mood. And, and, and I take it out on people that are close to me. I'm going to tell you, I didn't live up to my own standard this morning. So in the New Testament, Paul does his best to differentiate between following Jesus, the person, the living person, between following Jesus and living under the law. And here's what he's going to say, and I'll just give you a heads up, spoiler alert. He's going to say, as long as you approach Christianity by, by, here's God, and he's given us a list of rules. He's given us a do this, don't do this list. Uh, And I'm just going to do my best to to, to live up to those rules. He's going to say, you will never experience the Christian life in the way that it was intended to be lived. And so Paul says stuff like this in Romans 8, 3. He says, for what the law, you know, your law, my law, Jewish law, 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. Look at, the, look at this verse. He says, for what the law was powerless to do. Do you, you, you know what the law is good for? Do you know what your conscience is good for? Do you, do you know what the law, the religious laws are good for? It is to point out where you've done wrong. It's to say bad, 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 fail, fail, fail. The, the law is just so powerful. The, the law is only good to give you a grade. That's all the law can do for you is give you a grade. And let me give you a hint what your grade is. It's a failing grade. It's always an F. The, the, law, the law can't help you become a better law keeper. The law can't help you become a better person. The law is just a mirror of how awful you are. The law is just a reminder, uh, a mirror that, that, that reflects the deformities and, and the defects of how evil you are. The law doesn't help you. And so look what Paul says. He says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. Here's the contrast. God has done something for you that the law could never do. And here's what Paul says. He, says, he would say, do you know that the law actually empowers the power of sin? Do you, do you know that the, the law kind of supercharges the power of sin? Because here's what happened. The law reminds you of what you ought to do, what, what you don't do. And, 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 and you, know, you ought to do it, you don't do it. And the law says, ha, 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 you didn't do it. I got you, right? And the law becomes judge and, and jury and sentencer. God's law, good law, conscious law, right? State law. All the law does is remind you of where you have failed. We could, we could summarize it this way. Here's what, what we're talking about. Approaching God through the law is our default. That's always our fallback. That, that's what we know. It's just what we do because you were taught to do that. Re- religion teaches this. This is the fundamental way that most, I would say 90% of Christians, I just made that number up, all right? But 90% of Christians experience God through law. It's just what we do. Now, there's a good God, and he's told us some stuff to do, and I'll do my best to do it in Jesus' name or whoever's name, right? But eventually it leads to defeat. Because you're just not that good. You're not. You're just not that good to keep all of the laws. And, and shocker, I'm not either. We're not. We're just not that good. We all fall short and then we smooth it over and we try and say, well, nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. And then we go right back to trying to keep a law that we're never going to be able to keep. And here's the hinge verse. Here's what Paul said. Romans six fourteen. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master. We've talked about that for three weeks now, right? Remember that? We, we have said that when we were over here in Adam, that, that when Adam's sin, sin entered the world, and we were all in there, but when you placed your faith in Christ, you were taken out of Adam, and you were placed into Christ. What was true of Adam was, was true of you, but you placed your faith in Christ, and now you've been placed in Christ, and what is true of Christ is true of you. You are no longer in Adam. You are no longer in sin. You don't have that that power that sin has over you has been broken because the the power of the law has been broken because of what Jesus has done. You are done with sin. Sin does not have to be your master anymore. Sin can say, hey, why don't we go out? And you say, no, I don't think so. Sin can call and say, hey, remember those four other times we did that? And you say, yeah, I remember, but you're not my master anymore. And so we've talked about saying that, you know, just and and actually saying that out loud, you know, when you when when that that one issue comes up. It's that one issue that you struggle with all the time, and it it rears its ugly head again. And you sin, you're not my master anymore. Sin, you're not my master anymore. And some of you have begun to do that, and I know it's been helpful for you. Paul says, for sin shall no longer be your master, because why? Because you're not under the law. What? Yeah, sin, you're no longer my master, and you know why you're not my master? Because I'm no longer under the law. 
It's like Bobby said a couple weeks ago, your old boss calls you to come into work, right? You say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not under you anymore. You don't have authority over me. Sin, you're no longer my master because what the law does, the law points out where I'm wrong. The law points out where I fail. The law points out my sin. I am not under that anymore. And so we say, okay, I believe that, right? We, we believe that. But I don't know what that means. Well, the law says you should, but, but you don't. So you fail, right? So I better ask for forgiveness. And I'm just going to tell you, that's most people's Christian experience. That's the extent of most of our Christian experiences. That, that I've, I have sinned, I've done something wrong, and so I better just get on my knees at night and ask God to forgive me and, and try harder tomorrow, right? And Paul says that if you'd like to live free from the power of sin, then you've got to learn to live lawlessly. You've got to learn to live from out underneath the law to which we go, okay, does that mean that we can just do whatever we want? Well, take a wild guess. Of course not, right? In fact, Paul would even say that a little bit later. He said, no, you don't, don't sin so grace abounds. Stop sinning, right? Well, what's that mean? Well, look how he finishes up. He says, sin, you're no longer my master because you're not under the law, but under grace. In other words, the road divides. There's a, there's a road that you're on and it divides and there are two different approaches. And one leads to failure and you have good days and you have good weeks. And then you know what else happens? I'll tell you what happens. You get past your 30s and into your 40s and into your 50s. And, and, and things that were a big deal to you at one time are no longer a big deal to you anymore, right? That, you know, the things that you struggled with when you were a teenager, you don't struggle with at 50 years old. And, and you say, look how, look how much I've grown. Look how, much, how more spiritual I am. No, you're just older. You say, well, well look, God, I, you know, I don't. I'm not tempted to cheat on a test anymore. Well, you're not in school anymore, right? It's like, but, but I'm not even tempted to, to cheat anymore, right? It's, it's not a struggle for me. You know what happens? You just, you just move into different seasons, and guess what? Every season of life has different struggles. Some of you are at a season of your life where you are struggling with things that you never thought you would have to deal with. There are things going on right now in your life that you thought I would never have to deal with. When you were a teenager, you thought this will never happen to me. It didn't, you didn't even think that because it didn't register with you. And I'm telling you, there are things, it's not that we're getting more super spiritual, we're just getting older. And Paul says, look, 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 every, time, every season has reminders. Every season has a reminder that, that reminds you that you're not that good, that you're going to mess up, that you're going to fail. But Paul says there's a better way. There, there's a better way, but you're going to have to abandon the way of the law in order to understand the way of grace. So here's what I want you to do. If you've got your Bibles. We're going to leave the book of Romans. And I want you to flip over to the book of Galatians. It's another letter that Paul wrote. And we're going to look over at Galatians chapter 5. And as Paul tries to, to, to give us some handles on what it means to abandon lawful living, to begin to understand what it means to have a, have a daily growing relationship, a, a walk with a living, resurrected Jesus whose spirit lives in you because you are in Him. Here's what he says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk by the Spirit. And we would say, okay, Paul, it would be a lot easier if you just tell us what to do, right? Just give me the, the checklist. It would be a lot easier to do that, right? We, 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 know what, we know what those things are. We know don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. We, we understand that. But walk by the Spirit, what's that mean? He says, here's the new paradigm shift. Here's, here's the way that I want you to learn. To, to walk. What, what's it mean to walk, right? To walk means to keep step with, right? That's kind of... Simple, right? To keep in step with, to keep in, in step with, to be sensitive to, 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 you know, don't get too far ahead, don't lag too far behind. Um, 
keep in step with, walk with, be sensitive, take your cues from the Spirit of God that, that's in you because you are in Christ. And he goes on, he says, here's, here's the result, here's what will happen if you walk by the Spirit, he says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by, by the Spirit, at the end of the day, you'll, you'll get there and you'll look in the rearview mirror of your life and you'll say, wow, that was different. Today was different. Like, like I, I didn't worry about a checklist. I didn't worry about do's and don'ts. Today was different. Something, something happened today, and I don't know what it was, but it was different today. You know, sin said, hey, come over here, and, and, and now I'm saying no, and I'm going over there, right? I, I'm avoiding that. And that, that was different. That, that didn't gratify the desires of the flesh. And instead of waking up every day and saying, God, I promise that, I, that I'm not going to, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be better, he says, no, 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 forget all of that. That's law living. You're going to fail if you do that. I want you to learn to walk by the Spirit. And when you walk by the Spirit, when you get to the end of the day, when you get to the end of the week, the end of the month, you're, you're going to be able to look and you're going to say, not because you've chosen to, but because you learned to walk by the Spirit, you're going to see that the, that the desires of the flesh haven't been satisfied. Now, what are the desires of the flesh? Well, I, I think you know those. The, the desires of the flesh are the, I, sh- I shouldn't, but I want to, or I, I should, but, but I don't want to, and, and, you know, and I'm going to feel guilty if I do that, and, and, and you know, I'm trying not to, but now it's a habit, and now it's an addiction, and, and my gosh, what happened to me? You, you're what happened to you. The desires of the flesh, you know, it's those, those natural appetites that God gave you, all these appetites that God gave you that sin has distorted, and so now we mismanage the desires of the flesh. Paul says, let me explain exactly what I'm talking about. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Paul says they, they butt heads against each other, and so he says, so you are not to do whatever you want. Because if you do whatever you want, you will just give in to, to the desires of the flesh. But you say, wait a minute, isn't that law living? No, 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 grace here. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about a, a checklist, a to-do list, right? We don't have to worry about that because we're going to live by the Spirit. We're going to walk by the Spirit. We're going to stay in step with the Spirit. And every translation of the English Bible translates this last sentence of that verse differently. But here's what Paul's saying. He says, this conflict, this conflict of the Spirit and, and, and the flesh... It's, it's one that you have all the time. You know, God wants me to do this, but I don't want to do that. And he says, and when you get under the law, when, when you struggle under the law, you, you lose whichever way you go. Whichever way you go, you lose. Because when, because when you're a good boy or a good girl, you feel like you're missing out on something because sin promises something, doesn't it? Sin always promises something. And so you feel like you're missing out. And when you're a bad boy or a bad girl, you feel guilty because you got what you wanted and, and you did what you wanted to do, but now you've wrecked or you've ruined or you've caused some major problems in your life. So either way, you lose. And whenever you find yourself in this, this conflict of, of, I want to, but I shouldn't, you know, I, I want to, Paul says it's a lose-lose situation. You're either going to feel guilty or you're going to feel arrogant. And when you feel arrogant, you're going to judge all the people around you that do all the things that you wish you could do. And Paul says, that's not the way to go. There's a better way. And so he says this, he's, verse 18, he says, but if. But if, that means there's a, there's a different way, there's a different path, there's a different avenue. He says, but if you are, and now he's going to take us back to this original idea. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Paul's saying there's a different way, but, but you've got to be led by the Spirit. And, and when you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law because the Spirit leads you in a direction, a different direction. And, and when you go that way, when you look over your shoulder, you go, look at my life, it's changed. How, how my life has changed. And I don't know what happened, but, but the things that I thought were, were a big deal, the things that I really struggled with, I've, I've been trying to, to just let God handle those and let God live through me, let the Spirit live through me. Now all of a sudden those things aren't as big of an issue. They're not an issue for me anymore. I, I, something has changed. And you know what has changed? It's the Holy Spirit in you. It's Christ living in you and through you. And so when that happens, when you allow Christ to live in you and through you, and you're not just trying to live up to a standard that you're never going to attain, that, that conflict becomes diminished. That conflict is something different. You're going to see it differently. And so Paul goes on, he says, verse 19, he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. In fact, they're so obvious that he's going to list them. They're so obvious that I'm, I'm not going to list them. You can look them up yourself, right? They're so obvious, but, but you know what they are. It's, it's all the stuff, the same stuff that we all know, you know, your jealousy and, and, and losing your temper, fighting, looking at all the wrong stuff, getting addicted to stuff, uh, having a bad attitude. You hate skinny people and you hate rich people and you hate athletes and, and you hate people that make you feel like a failure, right? And it just goes on and on and on. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. We all know what they are. But look at this contrast. The acts of the flesh are obvious, but verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is huge. Everybody look at this. Look, look, look at this. Acts of the flesh are obvious, but the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is, do you all know what fruit is? Fruit is the, the result of something that happens internally. Fruit. I mean, you go to an orchard, you go to a vineyard, and, and, you, and you don't see the trees going, fruit, like, like they're mad at it, right? Like that, you know, that doesn't happen, right? You don't sense a, a, a struggle in the world of agriculture. Paul says, I'm telling you, there's a different way. There's a different approach. This isn't the law. The law will make you go, oh, law. The law will make you want to rip somebody's head off. The law will make you want to rip your own head off, right? And he just says, when, you, when you're good, you're proud, and when you're, when you're bad, you're guilty. And he says, no. There's a different way. There's a better way. Because fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, are produced in and through us, not by us. All right? We, we got to understand that the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us and through us, not by us. Fruit is produced in and through, not by us. Because, see, and see this is different than, than I'm going to be good. Uh, I, I'm just going to try harder. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. If you want to do that, good, good luck with that. But, but fruit, is, fruit is, God, today I'm going to learn to, to what it means to live in Christ. And I want you to produce your fruit in me. I want you to produce your fruit through me. Not my fruit, because I know what my fruit looks like. My fruit looks like bananas that you got at Kroger uh, when they were really yellow and you set them on, on the counter because everybody in your family was going to eat a banana, right, until you bought them. And then they sat there, and they sat there for two weeks, and they turned, and everybody had good days for those two weeks, but now all of a sudden they're black and brown and they're nasty, right? That's what my fruit looks like. you got to throw that stuff out. My fruit is I'm good for about four days, and then I hit back, and I'm, I'm back, and I lose my temper. And, and, and I, I kind of grit and walk out the door, and I come back, and I just try and be kind. Try and say, you know what, I, I, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. And God says, no, no, that's law living. That's law living. It, you need fruit that is produced through me. And so this is what he says, and this is really important. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. He says forbearance, but that means patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And pay attention to this last sentence. He says, and against such things there is no law. You know what that means? 
There's never going to be a law against being more loving. There's never going to be a law against being more joyful, right? There, there is no law against these things. But even more importantly than that, that these things, if, if you're just trying to, to attain the law, if you're tr just trying to hold up to that standard, then you're not going to be as loving as you could be. And you're never going to have joy because you're always going to be upset that you messed up. You're never going to have peace because you're always worried about what the punishment th that's going to come from God. There's, there, you're going to be less patient with people. You're not going to be kind because guess what happens when you're frustrated? You get irritable, right? And so you're not kind. You, you're going to have no self-control. When, when we see this list right here, when we see this, religious Christians, that's kind of an oxymoron, I think, but, but when we see this list, you know what we see? We see a to-do list. Here's what law keepers think. Is they, they think, all right, I'm going to be a good Christian. I, I'm going I'm to be more loving. I'm going to be more joyful. I'm going to be more, more uh, patient. I'm going to have more peace. I'm going to be faithful. I, I'm going I'm to be gentle. And by golly, if, 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 it, if it kills me, I'm, I'm going to get up early, an hour early, and I'm going to memorize all this scripture, and I'm going to have four accountab accountability partners, and I'm just going to have more self-control. God, thank you for this list. I'm on my way to doing this list, right? I'm on my way to do good stuff. And Paul says, no, 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 it's a fruit. It's not a to-do list. It's fruit. Don't even look at this like a list. Just allow God to bear fruit in you and through you. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, when you as you begin to learn this, you're going to look behind you and you're going to go, look, look, I don't know where all this came from. I don't know where, where the, where, what happened, but my life is different. My life is different because I'm allowing the Spirit to live in me and through me. And the things that I thought were issues and the things that, that I didn't think were issues, the things that I knew were issues, they're not as big of an issue right now for me anymore. And, and my wife says, gosh, man, look how different he is. My kids say, gosh, look, look how, how different he is. And, and, it's, and it's not because you've marked all the boxes on a to-do list. It's because you've begun to allow the Holy Spirit to live in you. And through you. This isn't a to-do list. This is a fruit list as we learn to walk in the Spirit. And so he finishes up by saying this. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those are who are in Christ Jesus, those who, who are in this jar, right? Those who are in this, you have died. You have died because Christ died. You are in Christ and you've been separated from the power of sin. And so Paul says this, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with the Spirit, right? That's the Christian life. It's keeping in step with the Spirit of God. It's, it's a completely different approach. It's a completely different mindset. It's not a couple of verses just tucked away somewhere in the Bible. It's the entire New Testament. And I'm just telling you, if you don't lean into this, if you don't lean this way, you're just going to become religious and you're just going to become frustrated your entire life. There are some of you who are 50, 60, 70, maybe 80 years old, and you have lived this way your entire life. And you have, there are things that you have struggled with your entire life, and you think, I don't know why I keep doing this. Why do I just keep going back to the same thing over and over and you pray the same prayer over and over and over? God, please forgive me of this. And it's the same issue. And that's, that's like the one prayer you know because it's the one thing you ask God to forgive you for over and over and over. And I'm just telling you, if you, keep wanna, if you just want to be a religious person, keep living that life. But it's not going to get any better. But if you want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit as opposed to the law, Things change. Things become differently. And you say, all right, Adam, I believe you. I, I believe you, but I don't know what to do. How do I do that? Well, and, I, and I get it because there's always this, this push toward practical application, right? So let me just give you some starter stuff. This is just ideas because basically it goes back to this. And, and the first thing is really it just starts with accepting this new identity that I am in Christ. 
I am in Christ. What is true of me is, is, is true because of Christ. I'm forgiven and I'm accepted. And, and I don't have to, you know, oh God, I did it again. I don't have to pray that same prayer over and over and over again because I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I am completely loved. I, I couldn't do anything to get God to love me anymore. I died to the power of sin. Sin is no longer my master because Christ died and he conquered sin. He conquered death. That's who I am. I am a new creation, a new creature, a new being. I am in Christ. That's the beginning. We just got to accept our identity. Because remember, as long as we identify with something incorrectly, we're always going to fight wrong. We're always going to lose that battle. And that's, that's, so, that's the first thing. The second is really just this, to begin to embrace this new approach. And that's what we've been talking about, this, this new approach the whole time for the last four weeks. Sin, you're not my master. Sin, you cannot have my eyes. Sin, you cannot have my feet. Because today, I'm going to do my best to keep in step with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I want you to lead me, and I want you to lead me uh, down the path of righteousness, right? And then the third thing, and we could do a whole message on this. Maybe I should come back to it sometime. It's just this, to refuse to interact with God on the basis of law. Refuse to interact with God on the basis of law. This, this is what gets us every time. This is where we trip up every time because we interact with God on the basis of law. And, and doing that, it sounds like this, you know, God, I did it again. God, I did it again. When actually our response should be, God, I, I got out of step. God, I got out of step. I, I did it again. You told me to, and I didn't, and God, I'm so sorry. And God says, that, that's the law. I don't think that way. I just want you to, to keep in step with me. I just want you to stay in step with me. Yeah, your wife said that, or your husband said that. You blew up, and you, and you got out of step with me. So let's just take a step back, and let's get back in step. And, and, and that means you know, you're going to step back, and you're going to get right with God. And then you're going to go in, and you're going to accept responsibility for whatever it is you've done. And you're going to be back in step with God. Let me just be honest with you. It's easier to be religious. It's easier to be religious, but it's way more frustrating. It's easier to go, okay, Adam, could you just talk about something practical next week? Could you just give us a list of three things we're supposed to do and not do? I get it. But I just want you to know that the Christian life has never been about trying to imitate Jesus. You can't. You're always going to fall short there. The Christian life is the life that Christ has given to you. It's what guarantees you to go to heaven when you die, but it's better than that. It's better than that. It's also what guarantees that, you don't, that you're not under the power of sin in this life, in the present life. We get so focused on eternity, and, and don't get me wrong, that's great. Like, I'm, I'm pumped for eternity. I'm pumped for heaven. But i got to live in this life right now. we got to live in this life right now. And, and, and God says you don't have to live under the power of sin in this life. It's not just about eternity. It's about this life as well. And so you can say no to the power of sin. It doesn't have any power on you anymore. Death doesn't have power on you anymore. Death has been arrested. It's what allows us to say, sin, you're not going to be my master. I'm going to say no to sin. We've said that consistently for the last three weeks. Would you say that with me again? Sin is not my master. Would you say it with me one more time? Sin is not my master. And here's the thing, here, here, here's the thing, there's always been a group of people in the church that have been committed to this idea that sin is no longer their master, that they, are, that they live under the freedom, because that's what this series has been all about, it's about being free from that, they have lived in that freedom, and that's the way that they've been able to approach the Christian life. And, and I just pray that as we wrap this up, that we will, we will let that settle 
in on us in such a way that we would leave here committed not, not to do, to do, to do, not, not that, but to, to let, to let. To let that maybe a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, you, you will look in the rearview mirror of your life and you'll go, wow, I've changed. Something has changed in me. And I wasn't even really trying. I just, I, I've learned to allow the Spirit of God to lead me and to allow God to, to allow Christ to live his life in me and through me. So I want to pray for us. And then we're just going to spend a moment just allowing this to settle on all of us. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I'm just going to tell you that if you, if you don't live in Christ, if you are wrestling with this, I, I know I want to, or I, I ought to, and I don't want to, and, and you wrestle with that tension all the time, I'm telling you there's a better way. There's a better way. And you don't have to live in that mess anymore.